hallelujah, more attached to God. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present time of help in trouble from Psalm 46, 1. A young Irishman, Joseph Scriven, in 1820 to 1886, was deeply in love with a young woman, and their marriage plans had been made. The night before their wedding, however, she drowned in a tragic accident. For months, Scriven was bitter and in despair, and at last he turned to Christ, and through his grace found peace and comfort. Out of this experience, Scriven wrote the familiar hymn that has brought consolation to millions. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Sometimes our, uh, our way lies in the sunshine. It was so for Joseph Scriven as he approached his wedding day, but like him, we may find that our path also leads through dark shadows and even loss. Disappointment and sorrow. Yet even sorrow turns to blessing when they make us less attached to the earth and more attached to God. Then, more than ever, we discover that Jesus truly is our friend and he bears our grief and sorrow. All right, well, let's worship the Lord. If you live.
from Genesis chapter 11. And the whole earth was one of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinir, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had them brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be withheld from them which they have imagined to do. Come, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Wherefore is the name of it called Babel, that is, confusion, because the Lord did, did there confound the language of all the earth, 
and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. If you join me now in reciting the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. He restored my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings. 
How is everyone this morning? The title of my message this morning is, What is God Doing? John 16, 33, from the NIV. I have told you these things so you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I'd like to read you a quote from E.H. Peterson entitled, What is God Doing? What is God doing? He is saving, he is rescuing, he is blessing and providing. He is judging, he is healing and enlightening. There is a spiritual warfare in progress, an all-out moral battle. There is evil and cruelty, superstition and ignorance, brutality and pain. And what is God doing? He is in continuous and energetic battle against all of it. God is for life and against death. God is for love and against hate. God is for hope and against despair. God is for heaven and against hell. There is no neutral ground in the entire universe. Every square foot of space is contested. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have uh, considerable grief. Every day we turn on the 6 o'clock news, we have uh, compounded grief from all the horror in this world. Father, this morning we pray that you will give us enlightenment, that you will give us courage, you will give us your peace, and that you will give us a spirit of prayer, because there is much prayer needed. Father, anoint every word this morning for your glory, and the encouragement and benefit of these good people. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Friday after the uh, Uvalde, Texas school shooting, a friend called me. He was in tears. And this is a rugged man. In Texas, we would call him a two-fisted, hairy-chested man's man. He's a smoke jumper. He does that for fun. For fun, he jumps out of perfectly good airplanes and helicopters to fight forest fires. He told me in tears, Ray, I can't come to grips with what has happened in Uvalde. And I can't come to grips with why it has happened. Frank should have been dead two years ago. He has, uh, he has been diagnosed with cancer. And um, I worked with him out at uh, Davis Montham. He's an electrician. And uh, 
I truly believe what's keeping this man alive is his fierce commitment to be there for his granddaughter. But he told me, Ray, I, uh, I have great fear for my granddaughter. I don't know how I can protect her from this kind of insanity. And I told him, Frank, I'm, uh, I'm praying with you. I'm praying with everybody I know about this. But Frank, I need to tell you that your prayers are just as effective as mine. If you believe your prayers are just as effective of, as mine, so pray on. And I also told him, I said, Frank, there's a, a bright side in all of this. I know that's hard to believe, but there's a bright side in all of this that very few have considered and even fewer believe. But the Holy Scriptures tell us that every last one of these children were carried by the angels to the open arms of Jesus. And he retorted, Yes, Ray, I believe that. But their families are going through hell. I told him, we may ask ourselves, where was God in all this? And I told Frank, I promise you, he's right in the middle of it. In the very middle of it. Saving, rescuing, protecting, and comforting. We may ask ourselves, why didn't God prevent the whole event? I answer, we don't understand God's economy. We don't understand how he thinks. I like to say that Jesus loves bowling for dollars. Let me explain. In God's economy, he likes to knock down not just every pin in the alley, but every pin in every alley in the entire bowling alley. God is willing to let a child die if that will bring a confrontation of family and friends with the Holy Spirit of the living God. He will allow the death of a child if it will turn the hearts of an entire family and even an entire city to him. I have witnessed a funeral of a tragic teenage death. I was a, a friend of the family, kind of their minister at large. A young man had committed suicide but he had accepted Christ two weeks before this happened. The sheriff told his aunt, his aunt was the first one there, that he believed this young man was trying to feign an act of suicide to reconcile with his girlfriend. He called her and told her, if you don't come in 20 minutes, I'm going to hang myself. The sheriff told the aunt, 
I don't believe he intended to commit suicide. He climbed up on one of those webbed lawn chairs that had the nylon strips and his foot had slipped through and he couldn't right the chair that he stood on to hang himself from a garage rafter. But at his funeral, the preacher preached the gospel and virtually every teen that came to that funeral came forward and received Christ. God will use whatever means necessary to get us safely home. There was such a death at Columbine High School in April of 1999. I'm sure most of you remember. It seems to have started this pandemic of school shootings. Rachel Joy Scott was among the students that Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris most wanted to kill that day. Christians and jocks were at the top of their list. And Rachel Joy Scott was the most outspoken Christian on the entire campus. So when Harrison Klebold encountered her, having lunch with a friend on the lawn that led to the entrance of the school, they made sure she was the first to die. An eyewitness said they shot her three times and then stood over her asking, well, Rachel, where's your God now? Do you still believe in God? And her last words were, you know I do. And Eric Harris put the muzzle of his gun to her head and pulled the trigger. The Christmas after Rachel's death, the family decided to rearrange her room and as they were moving the hutch in her room, they found a tracing, an outline of her fingers and hands overlapped like this. And written in the middle of this tracing were these words. These hands belong to Rachel Joy Scott and will someday touch millions of people's hearts. She wrote that when she was 13. She died at 17. 22 years after her death, her diaries and writings have touched the lives of over 2 million people with the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. Do you know what the root meaning of the Hebrew word salvation means? And by the way, that uh, Hebrew word is Yeshua. The root word means to enlarge or to become spacious. The word is a verb. God's name, I am, is a verb. Jesus' name, Yeshua to enlarge is a verb. And in Isaiah 52, 
God told Israel, enlarge your tent, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. In other words, get ready to grow. Rachel J. Joy Scott embodied this challenge to grow, and she dedicated her life to receiving and encouraging every person she encountered. Her life became spacious. To date, more than 30 million students, educators, and parents have been trained in Rachel's challenge. It is the most used anger management and violence prevention program for secondary schools in the United States. And it has gone worldwide. She touched millions. And what is the premise of Rachel's challenge? In her own words, she said, I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. It is staggering to consider what just one life totally committed to Christ can accomplish. I studied hours of interviews done by the survivors of the Columbine shooting. And one thing stood out to me. In every case of what I would call the true survivors of Columbine, there was a common denominator, a common experience. And it was this, either a feeling of divine presence or a divine voice that either helped them find a safe place to hide or guided them out and clear of the high school or gave them an unbridled passion to survive their injuries and recover to a genuine fullness of life. It seemed that only those who have given credit to God for their survival are the real survivors of Columbine. One girl told of how <clears throat> she heard a voice and she said it told me where to turn, what corridor to go down where to exit the school and as soon as I got in the schoolyard I ran as fast as I could. I ran through the schoolyard and out into the main street in front of the school and I didn't stop until I smacked into a green station wagon. It was my mother's station wagon. She said, God be praised, it was my mother's station wagon. My mother put me in the car and I noticed that I had run out of one of my shoes. And I also noticed that that sock was bloody. She ran so hard, but she said, praise God. I ran into my mom's station wagon. The assistant principal said his secretary knocked on his office door and said, we've got to get out of here. There's shooters in the hall coming toward us. He said, I grabbed my keys and I went to the nearest room that I thought would be safe. 
Several students followed me. He said, my key ring had 35 keys on it, and I rarely go into this room. But by divine help, I picked the right key, and we all got in safe, and we all survived. One young lady was in the library, the killing field of the library. And she said, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and it told me, move to the left. I moved to the left, and just as I did, the young man behind me took a full blast from a shotgun. He reloaded and shot at me and only hit my shoulder because I was moving left. Totally destroyed her shoulder. She had to have cadaver bones put in her shoulder to reconstruct her shoulder. But she is, and uh, since the shooting, and ever since, has been an advocate for tissue donation, bone donation. It's easy, you just have to check a mark on your uh, driver's license, that one that says donor. But she said, uh, when that hand touched my shoulder, it was the greatest peace I have ever felt in and she's had countless surgeries, and she's something to behold. She quite often wears sleeveless dresses, so you can see the six-inch scar fore and aft of her arm. And she smiles as she tells her story. True survivor. The Uvalde shooting is the 212th mass shooting in the U.S. this year. And we've had, what, at least three this week. Tulsa, Phoenix. There was one more I can't remember. Buffalo. <sighs> For the past three years, we have averaged 450 mass shootings per year. Is this and all the other chaos in our world, not the beginning of sorrows, which Jesus warned us of in Matthew 24. Indeed, I believe it is. I'm sure a wealth of sermons have been preached in the past two weeks on the Uvalde shooting, but I heard one last night that uh, truly resonated with me. It's based on Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers and your fingers are filthy with sin. That's a judgment on our nation. According to the CDC, there have been well over 600,000 reported abortions in this country per year for the past several years. And the Pew Research Company says those numbers are low. 
God still hears the prayers of the righteous. He hears the prayers of the righteous in this country, and he will deliver the righteous. But our country is being judged. We are like the children of Israel held captive in Pharaoh's Egypt. We are watching and enduring firsthand God's judgment on our Egypt. We are feeling each judgment against this godless empire. The children of Israel beheld every plague God poured out on Pharaoh's Egypt. They saw it firsthand before their exodus. And no, I'm not a post-tripper. They participated in each plague except one. You might recall God told them to take the sacrificial lamb's blood and paint it over their doorposts. They did not suffer the plague of the firstborn. And that's the one where we get the name Passover. We will come through the fire. Our clothes may be a little singed. They, smell, they may smell of smoke. But we will come through the fire. So how do we pray for the families of those who are now and will continue to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? One of the ladies from Columbine, she was the daughter of the coach who was instrumental in saving so many kids but lost his life. She said, seven years after my father's death, I was driving down the freeway, and I believe it was in Denver, headed home. She said, I can't describe it other than perhaps as a panic attack. Seven years. She said, I don't know if it was a song on the radio or, or what tripped in my head, but she said it felt like seven years of anger Seven years of horror, seven years of nightmares, and it all came together at one time. And I managed to get my car to the side of the road, and I ran from my car. And I didn't stop running until I came across a drainage ditch. And I lay down in that drainage ditch and stared at the sky for I can't remember how long. And she said, when I recovered my senses, I said to myself, I need help. Seven years and it all came to call. These people in Uvalde, they're going to be walking through the shadow of the valley of death for quite some time. But I can't talk about the valley of the shadow of death without thinking back on Rick Warren's words. Someone had the audacity to ask Rick Warren, so what did you learn from your son's suicide? What he said was golden. What he said was marvelous. He said, I've learned that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can't have shadows. 
about light. So what light can we pray for Uvalde? We can pray for them the light of comfort from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Lord has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Captives of what? Fear. Prisoners of what? Sorrow. The Lord has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. This is messianic prophecy. But our Lord, Jesus, has ascended into heaven and departed to us, imparted to us the gift of his Holy Spirit. So that commission is now ours. The Lord has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted to proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning and festive praise instead of despair. That's our commission. That's what we are to be doing. That's what we are to be praying. I applied this scripture to my broken heart at the death of my twins. They survived just moments, minutes after they were born. But I did not lose them to a senseless school shooting. I did not lose them to violent crime. Six months after Columbine, there was a mass shooting at Wedgwood Baptist Church, Fort I was working two blocks from Wedgwood Baptist Church at that time. I would drive within a block of Wedgwood going to work and coming back. And I got home that evening and turned on the news and fell to my knees. The story is eerily close to Uvalde. Young man shot his mother. This young man shot and killed his mother, got in the car and drove a block and a half to the church because the singing and praising was too loud. He had a cigarette in his mouth, walked into the foyer. Two deacons walked up to greet him and asked him to kindly put out his cigarette. He shot them both dead. Continued into the sanctuary and shot another five. During the shooting, church members said they could hear laughing in the balcony. Some said they could actually see the demons who were laughing. If you think Satan doesn't go to church, he's a more regular attender than any. I've seen angels. Have you? I'll wager you've seen them, but you didn't realize. I had a uh, crash 
that uh, an automobile crash that almost took my life. All the tires were flat in my vehicle, and I was trapped inside and couldn't get out. They had to cut me out with a saw. This was a uh, collector edition Corvette, and with the tires flat, it couldn't have been any taller than this. But this angel, not the good guy, came up and leaned over the car door, and I had a collection of broken chips of glass between my collar and my neck, and she kept flicking them like she was helping me. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see this is about the ugliest human being I've ever seen. And every time she'd flick that glass, it would cut my neck. And I, I uh, really paid her, her no attention. I was praying. I said, Lord, I have my wife's in route, and she's pregnant. And I feel like every time I lean up, one of these broken ribs is going to puncture my heart. But I'm sorry for how I've failed you. Please spare me. I've seen more good angels than bad. But this story of demons laughing... And one other story, the uh, local and national news media refused to report. Let me tell you the other story. At Wedgwood Baptist Church, I believe this was a Saturday night, and they were having a youth revival. And there was a young man there who was two weeks brand new in Jesus Christ. He had just received Christ as his Savior, and he was gung-ho for Jesus. As the shooter came into the sanctuary, everybody dove under the pews. And then he started looking under the pews for people to shoot. And when he merged over to just this young man's position on the far side of the church, he jumped up. And he said, my youth director was grabbing my foot and trying to pull me back down. He said, get down, Kevin, get down. And he walked up face to face to the shooter and he said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And the shooter said, you Christians are all a joke. There's nothing real about what you're doing. This is all for show. And the young man said, oh, no, sir, you're wrong. I've met Jesus Christ. He is so real to me. He has changed my life. I have a brand new life because of Jesus Christ. And the shooter sat down in the nearest pew, put the gun to his head and took it. Truth wins every time. But the news media, you'll never hear that. The only place you'll find that story is in the book. 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to God's people? Southern Baptist Church, 2017. 26 killed and 22 wounded while they worship. Why do bad things happen to good people? So we can be witnesses to the world of how to overcome every pitfall and every tragedy. We can witness to them that there is hope, there is power in the name of Jesus, and through him we can overcome anything. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They defeated Satan through the blood of the Lamb and the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. The King James says, they overcame through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So again, how do we pray for the survivors and families of Uvalde? For all the recent shootings. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 18 from the NLT. We pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. We stay alert and we stay persistent in our prayers for all believers everywhere. We pray prayers of petition, prayers of intercession. We pray in the Spirit. We pray every way we know how. And uh, According to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit will help us pray as we should, regardless of how feeble we feel our prayers are. Persistence in prayer is the key. We must stay persistent for all these hurting, devastated people. This Pentecost Sunday, we pray for another outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, just like the first Pentecost. That's what we want. And not just for Uvalde, but for all the recent shootings. What is God doing? He is waiting patiently for all those people who are called by his name to petition him for revival not just in this country, but throughout the entire world, a new outpouring of his Holy Spirit. We shouldn't ask, what is God doing? We should ask, what are we doing? How often are we on our knees praying? John Wesley said, God does nothing until we pray. Jesus said as much have not because you asked not. We've got to pray. We should be praying for God's grace and power so that we can make a difference in this God-hating world. So we can overcome this world by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask for a, 
not just an unction of your Holy Spirit, but uh, a tap on our shoulder every day, many times a day, to pray and pray some more. Father, we ask for your comfort, your peace that passes all understanding. For the survivors and families and friends in Uvalde, Texas, Lord, we pray that you will send uh, such a presence, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that that entire town will be revived unto you. Lord, we are your witnesses. We are your hands and feet. Help us wake up and realize this. We are your witnesses. We are your hands and feet. Empower us to make a difference and to do so for your glory and the benefit of all we reach out to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
us pray. Heavenly Father, let us keep in our hearts the families of those who have been lost. Such tragic, senseless violence. And Lord, we know that all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. So Lord, let's hope that good men do things that'll help change this, first being coming to you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Peace.